Well, let's say good morning to our guests, and they are Enzio von Feil, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Uh, good morning, Enzio. Good morning to you, James. And good morning to Richard Harris, CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management. Good morning, Richard. And good morning to you. Well, the SEC has approved 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs. What do we make of that, uh, Richard? I'm not sure that uh, um, Bitcoin and crypto is your favourite subject, but nevertheless, is it in the mainstream now? Well, my favourite subject, but not necessarily my favourite asset. I think the SEC take the view that uh, it's not really up to them to make a definitive judgment on uh, how investors should invest and what they should do. What they're interested in is making sure the market is... Uh, done on a stable, sensible and fair basis. So if investors want to invest in something, um, they should be allowed to do it. So they're not making a judgment call on Bitcoin itself, and they've said that deliberately. Um, but what the ETFs do, uh, these are exchange-traded funds, they're basically funds into which uh, people put money and the fund manager buys Bitcoins underneath. What they do is make it a lot easier uh, to buy Bitcoin. And that's why the price has been going up, because the feeling is that, well, there's going to be a flood of money coming in. Is that a good thing, do you think, Enzio? What, what are your feelings about uh, these ETFs? Oh, the ETFs I'm a total fan of. Um, indeed, in our capital preservation work, that's what we use because they, as Richard was alluding to, they, they provide access at, at a very low price. You get a wonderful range of diversified baskets in them, um, depending on the ETF, of course. But I'm not a fan of this Bitcoin crypto stuff. It's just because I'm far too, as a geriatric, I'm far too silly to understand what they really do. And if you, if you doubt, leave it out, as my old American saying, Peter Lynch, one up on Wall Street, also wrote this basically in his book on how to beat the stock market. He was only fidelity. He was only running the top fund for them. Um, and he also said, if you don't understand it, just stay out of it. I don't understand them, frankly. Richard, do you know what they really do? What do they really do? Well, I, I mean, in a sense, it's the last fool theory. They are an asset and people like to buy various assets. And if somebody is buying something and it goes up, you know, then that's a good thing. And many people have made fortunes in Bitcoin because, of course, it's gone up in the last 10 to 15 years from zero to what are we looking at now? 47,000 this mm. morning. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of money to be made, but you can't help thinking what's behind them you know it's um you people compare it to gold you can't eat gold you can't earn money off gold but gold has been an asset of value for five thousand years bitcoin is <coughs> is not and has nobody supporting it and also doesn't seem to be a diversifier against other financial assets you know when markets go down bitcoin will go down is this um, decision by the SEC a tacit endorsement of uh, Bitcoin and crypto, even though it says it isn't? No, I think, and, uh, and I think that's basically what they've said, is that they're quite happy to approve a product that allows investment into something that isn't illegal, um, uh, but they're not going to endorse Bitcoin per se. And I think the, the issue still remains is that Bitcoin is something that's been created. Uh, there's no backing to it, unlike currencies where government can tax and raise money to support their spending. Um, Bitcoin has none of that. Uh, and although there are lots of people who will run around saying, yes, this is the new thing and we can take power away from the uh, the establishment, 
that's not going to happen. Well, maybe it is the new thing, but of course there are plenty of old things as well. We've mentioned mm. gold. Uh, you know, commodities are still there. You know, the oil has been up and down in the in the last uh, uh, few months. Well, over many years, of course, but more recently due to uh, various uh, geopolitical tensions. Uh, Enzio, your thoughts on oil and commodities at the moment? Where where do we stand? Well, I think it's more than just Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. Um, I think that with the oil, you've got um, first of all, when I was a, an analyst at, at J. Henry Schroederwag in London and Cheapside, it was very, very clear that oil is a political commodity that you cannot forecast. So people saying it's going to go to price X or Y, I, th- I think they're on, on very, very thin ice, basically, because if if the Saudis are depending are are dictating its 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 future, they've not, for instance, just said that they have have, have already set the lower price for oil exports in February. In other words, for next month, the oil prices will be down on the export markets. Um, then you've got the U.S. shale producers coming in off the back of the wheelchair race, or I beg your pardon, the presidential race in the U.S. And um, they, of course, the presidential candidates want a lower price at the pumps mm. for the voters. And so they will tell the shale producers, why don't you go and up the shale production for the couple of months to get me back into office, squeaky clean, of course. So um, there are plenty of political sort of undercurrents there that I think make the actual um, forecasting of oil prices nigh impossible. Well, indeed, the U.S. election is this year, and that sounds like it might have a... Uh, excuse a, me, yes, that's my a, age. A, a, a big a big impact. Richard, is this something you follow at all? Um, you know, how are you looking at commodities and uh, and oil? Is there some money to be made there, do you think? Well, I, th- I think the big issue is that we've been slightly mystified by the fact that oil has fallen, you know, in an era where we've got two wars around the Middle East, or well, one or Ukraine, but it has an impact on mm. that. Um, uh, and I think the big issue is is China. You know, when China is booming, then we do see commodities rise, and not just oil, but also a wide variety of other minerals because they, they do a lot of buying on the world market. China's been very quiet since COVID. Um, it's looking to recover, but it's not there yet. And as a result, I think a lot of the commodity markets are quite... Uh, weak. In addition to that, I think that because China has been quite weak, it hasn't been exporting inflation as has been the case in um, some recent years. In fact, it's exporting disinflation. And as a result, we're seeing inflation come down in the US. We've seen inflation come down in Europe and everyone's patting their, uh, themselves on the back as, right. uh, because they're so terribly clever and having done But it's this. actually China, we're saying. But it looks as if it may be the Chinese economy, second largest in the world, which is, um, which is pulling these things back. So I think it's a bit early to declare victory on the whole interest rate and inflation front because, you know, we have uh, China, which is a major part of the world, and very often the Euro and US centric view tends to ignore that. What's your view on China in the next, uh, say, three to six months? Are, are you seeing some kind of recovery? Any any green shoots there? Well, I think there are green shoots, but you know it's very very early in the spring, and my view has been that uh, it is quite possible that the authorities will bring in some kind of big stimulus. Uh, to get the market going because it's it's one thing to put little bits of market in dripping it over time but the market tends to take that and not not really pay any attention to it Um, when economic authorities do have a big impact it's when they throw in the big bazooka they put in a lot of liquidity and he said right we're really really serious and we're going to lift everything up by its bootstraps 
I think that's likely to happen in China, and my views on China are predicated on that. Um, and if that happens, I think that that'll be good for China, and of course, even better for Hong Kong. India, what do you see the direction in China? We're hearing, you know, over the last couple of days, this uh, China Central TV saying a former PBOC deputy governor took large bribes mm. to help business people. The crackdown uh, on corruption uh, continues. But what about, uh, you know, stimulus packages and so on? You know, are you seeing enough going on there to boost the uh, the Chinese economy? Absolutely not. I have to disagree with my good friend Richard here. Um, I think actually that the heart of China's lack of growth is what the, is the, for the, us Western readers at least, is the newer introduction of party state capitalism, which is different to state capitalism, which they've had really since Mr. Xi came in. Um, and the state capitalism is basically where the government and state enterprises take very large chunks in, in major industries. The party state capitalism is where the party tells the private sector in effect what to do. And I think that's quite dangerous because the private sector is, of course, generates 80% of all jobs. And so if the private sector is being told what to do, then it can't really do what the market is telling it to do. It is, it is doing it, it's, it's, it is running its business by diktat. And I'm not saying that that on the face of it is bad. It's just, it's, 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 it's very difficult to then buy and sell a market of, of bazookas um, uh, stimuli, in other words, monetary and fiscal policy, when in fact the whole thing is quite ineffectual in my mind, such policy. So I don't, I don't, what I'm really saying to our listeners is I don't think that stimuli are going to be the, the buying signals in the Chinese economy that, that many people seem to f hope they will be. I think there may be sort of short-term wonders in the market, bounces up and then it goes straight back down because of this introduction of the party state capitalism. Well, stay tuned to that for more. Uh, turning back to the U.S. Uh, Boeing uh, announcing that uh, it uh, had made some errors over this uh, recent uh, door popping out of a plane um, from Alaska Airlines. Richard, well, what's the impact on uh, someone like Boeing? Uh, you know, this 737 MAX has is, is not uh, been doing that well, has it? Well, the, the share price dropped uh, $30 almost immediately, having been quite positive recently because, you know, this is, a, this is just yet another piece of bad news about Boeing's engineering capabilities. And, uh, you know, the market can take so much. And we're now looking at a company that looks as if it's extremely accident prone, um, a company that's, let's face it, it's been going on for well over 100 years. Maybe it's got a little bit complacent. Um, but the big issue appears to have been that uh, a number of years ago when Boeing took over McDonnell Douglas, the McDonnell Douglas management came in and then took on a profit first policy. So the accountants started running the company instead of the engineers. And that seems to have been quite a material uh, impact on what's happened to the company. You know, it's okay to make short-term profitability, but you can't do that at the expense of uh, your long-term reputation. Airbus is giving it uh, a run for the money, isn't it? It is. Airbus have had their own issues because they actually can't make any more planes. So it's not as if Boeing is never going to be out of the game. So uh, there is an issue there, but Airbus is, is clearly ahead uh, quite strongly. And ironically, the uh, accident that we saw in Japan where all of the passengers managed to escape from an Airbus before the, uh, before the aircraft was destroyed is actually probably quite a good sign for Airbus, even though there's probably no doubt a Boeing would have performed just as well.
It wasn't their fault, I guess they say. Uh, Richard Harris, uh, CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management. Thank you, Richard. And thank you very much to Enzio von Feil. James. Uh, Capital Preservation Specialist. Thank you, Enzio, too, at uh, Financial Shields.